Welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Will, and I'm joined today by Haley Piper, author of The Possession of Natalie Glasgow, Your Mind is a Terrible Thing, No Gods for Drowning, Queen of Teeth, and others. Haley, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. <laughs> thank Just, you so uh, much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining. This is awesome. Uh, I gotta ask, first and foremost, what is your favorite horror movie? I'm interested in the answer. Um, all right. Well, I have to list like 50. <laughs> so I really don't I really don't have a number one. Like it really could depend on the day, whether it's like, you know, whatever mood I'm in for what I'm in, what I'd like to watch. Like it could be the thing or Christine or It Follows or if you or um uh Nightmare on Elm Street Three or it's just like there's all kinds of things. Um although Yesterday, I definitely got in my feelings about a uh, fright night. The old um, one or the new one? The old one, because that's my favorite vampire movie. And uh, somebody decided to go on a two-minute rant about it being a bad movie. What? In uh, uh, Georgia, in the Senate race, um, uh, Herschel Walker went on a two-minute rant about it being a bad movie <laughs> to make some point, to make some ridiculous nonsense point or whatever. But I was just like. Um, and like Tan Henry do was, was, uh, quote tweeting somebody's like, don't like anyone never vote for anyone who, who says Fright Night's a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear the rest of his speech. Like, where does that fit in? It's, it, it's honestly, you're going to lose brain cells <laughs> if you listen to the rest of it because, because he's referencing the part at the end, near the end where, um, Peter Vincent tries to use a crucifix against Jerry Dandridge and Jerry Dandridge crushes it in his hand and says, you have to have faith for that to work. And it's this ridiculous thing about having faith in the authority of the state or some other nonsense. So <laughs> man, the things people come up with, I like how you like um, it follows. That's a movie. It took me a couple times to watch, but um, it kind of grew on me after a while. That's a pretty good. It one. was. I was at the edge of my seat the entire time. Like I was like that movie. I I don't know if it was the soundtrack that grabbed me first, but like right from the jump, I just was just tense, and it just got worse through that whole movie. Um, one I showed it. I made a point to show it to one of my friends, and she was not happy with me afterward <laughs> and like then and the next day my wife asked if she should watch it and my friend was like there are images from that movie i'll never get in my head never never watch that movie <laughs> it wasn't that gratuitous i didn't think i i mean there's still disturbing imagery like um you know at the beginning you have the woman who's running onto the street and it's just kind of um the sense of that unsafety is is enough, honestly. But then you get the more brutal elements a few um, couple minutes later of her her leg broken backwards over oh. her. You have the um, the scene of Jay tied to the chair as the as it is approaching, and it looks, I believe, like her uh, the guy she's with's mother. Um, you have the other. It, it showing up as this other woman, uh, you know, uh, pissing on the kitchen floor. You have the giant uh, version of it coming. I mean, and just like it's on and on through the movie. Like I could just keep listing imagery from when it kills the friend to like right to the end where you don't realize why she's so 
why she doesn't want to tell her sister what it looks like at the pool scene. And then you don't see until after that scene in her bedroom that it looks like her dead father. Oh, I have to rewatch that. (laughs) It's a very, there's a lot, like there's a lot not said and just implied with that movie. And it's also, um, I didn't realize why this was happening. I just felt uneasy besides just the situation. But afterward, I was reading stuff about the movie and there's no set time period or season to that movie. Different scenes will be autumn or spring or whatever. And then the different um, purposeful anachronisms throughout the movie of stuff that from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s um, that don't mesh together properly. It's it's essentially to make you make you the audience feel uneasy. Mm. I think the only problem I had with that movie was I felt like the um, the villain kind of broke its own rules a couple times. I think that's what I remember not liking about it. I don't remember where, though. I, I, there was one spot where I was like, wait, didn't they already establish it can't do this? But I might have actually missed something. Well, there's two things with that. One, I mean, I don't let that stuff stop me from enjoying a movie. That's just me personally. But two, um, none of the kids actually know anything. Um, they're just they're they're. The, the one guy, the guy they get all their information from is guessing based on what he's figured out since he met some woman who he, whose name he didn't even know at a bar where this all started with him. We don't know where it came from. We don't know what happens you know, with other stuff. Um, they're all just speculating on what actually counts and what I mean, I don't. That's me when I go into narratives. I don't trust. I don't trust the characters. I trust the creator, but I don't trust the characters because they're fallible humans and they don't know everything. That is a good point. I didn't really think about that. Like it's kind of they're discovering as they go. I didn't really. I mean, I think they know less by the end than they think they do earlier on when they first talk to the guy that Jay sleeps with. Oh, yeah. I think the but scariest that... part like, was when they're at the beach and like their her hair just kind of rises like someone's pulling it. I was like, oh, shit. I mean, yeah, I mean that's definitely alarming because you get you can definitely see what everyone else is seeing because up to that point you're just Jay's point of view. Mm. Like we own we see everything as Jay does, which is why they don't believe her necessarily up until that point. Um for me it was still the the when it comes up as the as the really tall guy without with no eyes. Um Oh yeah. I just wasn't anticipating because because you you saw the woman downstairs and then her sister's banging on the door and she opens the door and there's just this empty space behind her. And I could just feel my heart racing up my throat as he steps in the frame. Um, I don't know how tall that actor is. Right. It's like that's that's scary. But you also I think there's actually a guy who's that tall that they cast in that role. It might have been the same guy who played uh, the Crooked Man in, um, what was it, Conjuring 2. Because there's like very few like super tall actors that I can name. Mm. So uh, going off that a little bit, uh, the horror industry, what would you say is missing? Like what what does there need to be more of in the horror industry specifically? Um, You mean like? Like as far as uh, storytelling. Oh, um. I don't know, honestly. (laughs) Um, I think, I mean, for, for books, for books, honestly, like a lot of things are being covered like to that. I think it's just that there's not as much attention to certain things. Um, 
or just that they're not uh, marketed a certain way. Like, for example, um, there's this book that came out recently, Leech by Hiran Ennis. And that book has been marketed as like, oh, this doctor is trying to solve this problem of a parasite at these rich people's house. That is not what that book is about. I mean, it's what its book is about, but it's not like really getting across what the book is. It's like the earth has been through like three apocalypses since our time to get to where they are. And the doctor is just like a, a cell of this 500 person hive mind. Oh, um, and that's the thing. Somebody who's look who's like, oh, I'd like to read something really weird and interesting. Wouldn't know to look for that book because it's not presented that way. So I think in books, like a lot of stuff is being covered. We just need more of it. But and it needs to be actually communicated. Hey, this is this weird thing. Um, and there are a lot of weird things with movies. I, I think it's more just like we kind of need to move past certain things. Like I, I know some of it's just because they're they're cheap to make like zombies ghosts those are inexpensive things but i think we could do so much more yeah uh, ghost stories especially in film like you can do a lot with a very very little i think that's how uh, blumhouse gets away with it a lot <laughs> and like that i think that'd be fine except a lot of them i kind of they start to blur mm-hmm. for me um and i'm just like that usually doesn't happen when i'm reading a ghost story so i think they just kind of need to start picking more uh, distinct ghost stories. Mm-hmm. There was a one I picked up recently. I'm trying to remember the name. It was a Japanese ghost story. I think it's a newer one. And it looked really, really interesting. And I know it's kind of divisive. Some people say it's like bland and boring because it's a traditional Japanese tale. Then everyone else is like, no, you just don't know the context. Like, this is terrifying. Like, I like stuff like that where it can be divisive, like where it's getting the attention, both positive and negative, you know, oh, people yeah. are discussing it openly. I think that's what, for yeah. me, makes something really, really big. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if nobody can agree, then there's at least an argument to get your attention. Yeah. <laughs> for your own writing, um, how do you start out? Do you uh, outline it all or do you pants? Um, it's a it's a complicated answer, I suppose. Um. I mean, I kind of just, as ideas come, I drop them down and whether they fit uh, something I'm working on or not is kind of just irrelevant. It still needs to be written down and put somewhere. Um, as far as like, I do outline, I, I always outline before I get started. Like once I've got my notes and I've tried to, you know, it's probably out of order. I probably don't know everything that characters are going to do, but there gets to a point where it's like, all right, I have enough raw material that i need to start something so i'm like all right let's see this happens before this this happens after this try to get in some kind of order form an outline out of that and so at that point it probably sounds very plotting i i don't really do the whole like at this at this percentage of the way through this has to happen like i don't do that it's just what happens and then what happens after that until we get to the end oh god people Um, do that yeah, apparently, I think that's I think that's a um, I think that's a cross pollination from screenwriting because apparently yeah. there's very strict rules to screenwriting, which I don't really care for honestly myself. I don't understand it. I don't think that leads to the best storytelling potential. Yeah. Um, but like, I get about probably I'll get to some point early in the book. Sometimes it's the like in your mind is a terrible thing. It happened at like chapter one when I finished chapter one. 
in Queen of Teeth, it happened like a third of the way through where I'd write following the outline and then I'd be like, all right, well, now I know more about the characters and the world and the story and none of the rest of this makes any sense. So I have to completely redo new outline from that point on and I'll get a little ways further, maybe halfway, maybe three quarters through and be like, okay, now I have to change all this stuff again. So it's still following an outline. It's just kind of a matter of like, throwing down new railroad tracks before keep pushing the train forward. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, there are times where I totally get turned around by like the midpoint of a book I'm writing. And I was like, now I know what exactly to change for the first 150 pages or so. And it's a big pain in the butt, but it's, it's nice when it happens, right? I mean, I usually, I don't know what it is, if it's just in intuition or what. I, I can usually tell if I've done made my characters do something that they wouldn't do um, because it will start eating at me. I won't be able to sleep. Um, so I'll just be like, no, that's not right. That's not right. But I don't, what are they supposed to do? And often it just ends up being some wild thing that I couldn't have thought of at first. Um, I mean, like, you know, it's an old saying, but writing is rewriting. Like you're going to end up writing the book, you know, multiple times, reading it even more times. So it has to at least be something that entertains you first and foremost. How do you feel about people who do the one and done method where they write literally one draft, but they edit as they go? Because I've heard that I mean, from a, I've heard from a couple of people. They say like they only do one actual draft, but they start each morning, I, mean, I guess. I don't I don't know. That's their that's their thing. <laughs> it's just so different to me. I'm like, uh, part of me is like, I mean, no, you must edit. You must. Edit. I'm always working on one file. Um, I'm going to assume that there, that draft is happening more slowly than the initial draft and then go through it again. They'll go through it again. I mean, it's not like I've never done that. Again, with Queen of Teeth, um, I'd have to stop at many points and go back and rewrite things and change things and switch chapters around. I mean, there's like a hundred something pages of material that is not part of that book anymore just because so much happened. But that is was also kind of a miserable experience to do. I mean, I enjoyed writing the book, but seeing all that stuff get tossed as I was going made it feel like I wasn't getting anywhere. So that I mean, if that's if that works for some people, that's fine. But for me, it just I need to feel like, okay, I have accomplished this, I finished this draft. Now I can move on to second draft. Uh, it's always a good feeling too, like draft to draft. Like to me, that's like a rewarding aspect of it. <laughs> At least it lets me know where I am. Like if I'm editing as I go, I don't know what level of progress I'm at. I don't know how much more I'm going to need to do later. Whereas if I'm like, okay, I finished the second draft. I know what that means to me. It, it means something different to everyone, but I know what that means for me as far as my level of process. So now I know what I'm doing for third draft. Now I know what I'm doing for fourth draft. Um, it just helps give some structure and that's especially important if you've got like a million things going on in your life. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that really stops me is when you're on like the first chapter and you know, the first chapter very, very well, but then the middle part blank, that, that just drives me nuts. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, the beginning it, and the end. I don't know. It's hard to remember sometimes because if like you finished a book for a bit, it's like, that's one of those, that's one of those like little tricks that your brain plays on you. It's like, if you finish something, um, it feels like it always was done. Mm -hmm. And then 
it like why isn't this new project as good yet <laughs> right when you're starting <laughs> um so some yeah so some of them i can understand that and usually if i find that to be the case to me that means that i've saved too much for the end and i need to pull some of it back and spread it out a little bit in the middle and such oh, i like that what would you say is the most challenging aspect of writing and publishing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many, there's the, the business is such, is so complicated and messy. Um, and you have to watch, like, even, even if you have an agent, you have to watch out for yourself to some degree because they're always going to be people trying to get around an agent. And if you don't have an agent, then you need to be very, very careful with everything. Um, it's just a matter of trying to, trying to watch out for, all the possibilities, the little things that you might let slip through the cracks. Yeah. Um, but writing itself, writing itself, I don't think is, I, I see, I always see people complain about it and I'm just like, I love writing. And I don't mean just the accomplishment of writing or coming up with ideas. I mean, I love the discovery elements of it. I love putting down, or even just the technical elements of it, of putting sentences down one after another and seeing how they play off of each other and such. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, yeah, so it ends up being the publishing part is the challenging part. There's just so much to it. And it's, it's like, like, like they say, finishing a book is step one. Yeah. I like it. So you're like a writer's writer then. I'm, I guess. I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> <laughs> you actually enjoy the process. I know that's fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I love all of it. Um, you know what? Actually, okay, I have a better answer. The the challenging part is taking that really messy, uh, quickly done first draft and turning it into draft two, where it's like it actually has to be good now. Mm -hmm. That's that's the challenging part, and not because I don't enjoy it, but because it goes so much slower that my attention starts to wander. I'm like, all right, are we done with this chapter yet? Can we? Is it good enough yet? Can we move along? And it's like, no, you have to go through every sentence. You have to go through every paragraph. Do you need this page? Like, you know, things like that. So it's, yeah. just, it's not like I don't like it. It's just the challenging part is how time consuming that step is for me. At what point in your process do you let other people read? When it's done. <laughs> <laughs> Usually there on occasion, um, my wife will, will read something, but um, that depends on the book and whether it's one that I think she would enjoy. If it's one that's got like, too much gore or something like that, then I know she's not going to enjoy it. And there's no point in like subjecting her to that. So I just don't ask her. Then then the first person at work read it is like my agent or something. So Do you ever surprise really... her? Huh? Do you ever surprise her and be like, I promise this one has no gore in it, but it's like the goriest one yet? No. I mean, it's, you know, relationships built on trust and all that. So true. True. But uh, what did you guys go as is Halloween? Or for Halloween, I said as oh. Halloween. I guess you'd go <laughs> as the season. I mean, I'd, that'd be a good costume idea. That um, would be good. No one's ever done that. I didn't we didn't dress up. Um, just stayed home. It was it's it's been an exhausting. I I don't know where October went. Honestly, all right? of a sudden it was Halloween. Um, I'm just like I I almost got some stuff. Um, I was debating between getting some. I was gonna go to Spirit Halloween and look around because I was like I kind of want to do something. And then it was Halloween and then it was over and, you know, spirit Halloween just goes with the wind on November 1st. Yeah. This vanishes. Yeah. <laughs> well, can everybody, uh, 
Where can everybody find you online? I know you're very active on Instagram, right? Um, I try to be. Yeah, I'm insta- active on uh, my website is Haley Um, I try to update that whenever there's something to update with. Um, on Twitter, fingers crossed that that's going to continue to exist. Um, at Haley Piper says, and Instagram, Instagram. Um, God damn it, Instagram, TikTok, and Mastodon. Um, at Haley Piper fights. Okay. Well, Haley, thank you so much for joining. It's been fun. This is great. Thank you so much for having me again. <laughs> hey, you have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye.